I'm Frances Robertson Ritchie. Welcome to today's episode of The Explored Life, More Than Yoga. In this final episode of The Explored Life, More Than Yoga of 2020, I am talking to Dr. Julie Greenberg from California. And she specializes in dermatology as a naturopathic doctor, treating patients with chronic conditions such as eczema and acne. But what she also really specializes in is how that links to inflammation due to gut microbiome dysfunction. I learned so much from this chat with Dr. Julie Greenberg about um, the gut, leaky gut syndrome, how that affects our general health and well-being, as well as the health of, the health of our skin. And she finishes with her top tips for what we can do to take care of our gut, improving our gut health and the health of our skin. I'm so interested to hear all about the work that you do as a naturopathic doctor. Have I said that right? Yes. Naturopathic doctor. And you specialize in dermatology. I do. That's correct. So do you want to tell us a bit about what that entails, the work that you do? Because to be honest, we don't... um, have we don't really have specialist doctors in dermatology over here as much as you do in the states which is where you're based right yes that's correct i'm i'm based in california um but i see patients all along the west coast in california washington and oregon via telemedicine yeah so first of all i'll start telling you about what a naturopathic doctor is i'm an nd not an md um, we, we both get four years of medical school and the first two years of training is very similar between a medical doctor and a naturopathic doctor. That's basically just the basic sciences. What's, what's supposed to be happening in the body. And then we say pathophysiology, what's going wrong in the body with certain diseases, but it's the final, t- um, two years of training of medical school where we really start to differ. So in conventional medical school, um, they're going to be heavily trained on the use of pharmaceuticals. And that's really their toolkit is writing prescriptions for pharmaceuticals. Um, as naturopathic doctors, we also study, um, pharmacology and are tested on it for our boards, but it's not our first line treatment. We are concerned with trying to find and treat the root cause. And while pharmaceuticals can be um, great for certain situations, particularly what we call acute situations, things that are kind of short term, they haven't been as good at treating long-term or chronic situations because they're not addressing the root cause, they're addressing symptoms. Yeah. So as a naturopathic doctor, we're trained to try to find what is going on? What is wrong in the body that's causing this? And let's fix that instead of just suppressing the symptom. And we are taught to treat the whole person. So in Western medicine, we chop up people into different body parts. You know, if you are having stomach problems, you might go see a gastroenterologist. You're having 
a skin issue, you go see a dermatologist and let's say you're very stressed and you feel like you need some mental support. You know, you're going to see a psychologist. We treat it like, oh, these body parts are completely separate and have nothing to do with each other. But of course we know nothing could be further from the truth. We're one body, one mind, one spirit, and we know that everything affects everything else. So as naturopathic doctors, we treat the whole person. So I'm a naturopathic doctor, which who specializes in dermatology. And this has all been a long way of saying, um, I treat primarily dermatological conditions, but I do it through treating the whole person, which means I focus a lot on the gut. That is the root cause of a lot of chronic dermatological disease. That is absolutely fascinating. And it's so interesting because already I am picking up on some real similarities between um, the way that you approach your work. And it kind of reminds me of Ayurveda. And, you know, have you come across the practice um, and, you know, I'm not a specialist in Ayurveda, but obviously it's a sister practice to yoga and I'm a yoga teacher. And there's that idea of um, things being approached in such a holistic way. And, you know, it almost seems crazy then to try and separate things out in the way that you described, you know, like breaking it down into pieces because we're not just pieces, are we? And it all is connected. Um yeah. Yeah. And I'm totally uh, on board with that. And uh, it just makes so much sense to me. Yeah. So I would say there are big similarities between Ayurvedic medicine, which comes out of India, um, traditional Chinese medicine, which comes out of China and, and you know East Asia and naturopathic medicine, which is um, has its roots in uh, Europe and now North America um, and, and Australia as well um, has moved to Australia. All three of these disciplines are similar in that we're herbalists. So we primarily use botanicals and herbs to try to treat people. Um, and again, we, we do, we treat the whole person. We're looking for root causes and Ayurvedic medicine. They're trying to find your dosha, you know, pot, pitta, yeah. kapha or vata. And, you know, who kind of, where's your kind of constitution as a person? And of course, you know, you can be blended and yoga is, so they use a lot of herbs, but they, you know, yoga and movement and food is a big part of it. And same with naturopathic medicine. Food is a big part of naturopathic medicine. We're the, I think we're the only doctors who are qualified as primary care physicians in the U.S. who are trained and tested in nutrition. We're trained uh-huh. and tested in nutritional in botanical medicine. Uh, so we pull together all these disciplines. And, and I do think there are a lot of similarities between Ayurvedic, traditional Chinese medicine and naturopathic medicine. That's really, really interesting. Um, yeah, I, did, I didn't know that and I wasn't clear on, I'd heard the term naturopath, naturopathic doctors and medicine and um, that's really great because that makes it so clear now. Um, so I, um, you were talking about uh, specifically how important the gut is when it comes especially to um, our skin. And I was really interested recently to read about how um, because the skin is like the largest organ and they're the most exposed to the world around us uh, the, the, and how much that, that then affects our gut. And so it's a two-way thing, obviously, isn't it? And then the gut and what we eat affecting our skin. So I'd love to hear a bit more about that. I'm sure you know lots of on that subject. 
Yes, you are absolutely right. So effectively, we're a tube. The outside of the tube is our skin. And you're right. I mean, the job of the skin is to face the outside world and protect us, to keep certain stuff in, like moisture in our organs and our fluids, and then to keep things out, like bad guys, which we call pathogens. The inside of our tube is our gut. It's our whole digestive tract. And it meets in the middle at the mouth. And so while we have different microbiomes on the skin, in the mouth, and in the gut, and, and definitely different microbiomes, microbiome as we move through different places in the gut. They're all related. They all affect one another. Um, and we definitely see interplay. So for example, in eczema, pretty much all the time, if you see eczema on somebody, they have an overgrowth of a bacteria called Staphylococcus aureus on their skin, Staph aureus. Well, I do a lot of gut testing on all of my patients. And in my eczema patients, I would say the vast majority of them, when we do the stool and internal testing, we see an overgrowth of Staph aureus in their gut as well. And um, Staph aureus actually colonizes and hides in the nose. So here, when we're treating eczema and we're treating something like Staph aureus, I'm not just thinking about it on the skin. If I do that, it's gonna keep coming back. I also have to treat the nose and I also have to treat the gut. And the gut and the skin are related. Our immune system is primed primarily through the gut, but it also gets primed through the skin. We don't think of our gut as being outward facing, but what we do every day when we eat is actually pretty dangerous. We take the outside world and we bring it inside our body. Wow, that's actually a pretty dangerous thing to do, you know, three or multiple times a day. And so we have, we have mechanisms to defend against that in our GI tract. So our stomach is very acidic. It's so acidic that if, if we touched our stomach acid, it would burn us. So we have a very thick mucosal wow. lining in our stomach. When that mucosal lining gets eroded, we get ulcers because we are literally digesting our own stomach organ with our acid. But the reason it's so acidic is that we want most of these foreign things that we bring in through our mouth into our body to die in a fiery acidic cauldron in our stomach and not make its way through our immune system. Because as, as things make its way through small and large intestine, they get absorbed into our bloodstream and presented to the immune system. And, and that is part of the problem in a lot of these diseases is we have something called leaky gut and too much is getting through. But the skin is very similar to the gut. But, you know, we are not hard-shelled turtles. It, evolution knew with this soft skin of ours, there's going to be breaches in the skin. And so we've also got an immune system, a robust immune system right beneath our skin. So if you get a paper cut, you're going to automatically get an influx of bacteria and things into your bloodstream. But the body's prepared for this. You know, it knows, all right, this is soft skin. We're going to have breaches. So the minute you get a paper cut, there are um, immune cells there like neutrophils and macrophages ready to deal. You know, hey, guys, we've got an influx of bad guys. We need to come and kill it. How do we do that? With inflammation. We create inflammation to kill those bad guys that just got into our bloodstream. And we create inflammation to actually heal that wound, that cut that we got on our finger. But ideally that inflammation is acute or short term. The body deals with it, says, yep, we, we, we see the problem. We're gonna create the inflammation. We kill that bacteria just got in, we heal that wound. And then, you know, hopefully you, you, you can never even tell where you got a paper cut on your finger. It just is healed. And then that inflammation completely calms down. 
Uh-huh. It's a similar situation in the gut, but a lot of us suffer from something called leaky gut, where we have this chronic influx into our bloodstream via our GI tract. And instead of the body being able to say like, whoops, something got through, you know, here's a short term problem. Let's create inflammation and deal with it. And now the inflammation can go away. The body is like, wow, this just keeps coming. We got to keep creating inflammation because this bad stuff is in our bloodstream and we can't have that. And so the body is actually doing the right thing, but um, the problem is it can't correct this, the situation. And so we have chronic inflammation instead of acute inflammation, which is what we want. But yeah, the immune system and the skin and the, the gut, um, it's definitely connected and you, you have to treat the gut to treat the skin problems. That is really, really interesting. I'm like, my brain is like whirring trying to keep up with you there. But I'm really glad you mentioned leaky gut because that's something I've kind of come across in my reading and um, and I've never quite fully understood it. I think you've really explained it very well there. What I would ask is, um, and what I'm interested in is, what are the bad things that are coming in that are causing that um, our gut to respond in that way to protect us to be chronically inflaming you know to try and protect us against those things what are those things yeah so fundamentally what's happening we we talked a little bit like oh we have this mucosal lining in our stomach to pr- protect the stomach from the stomach acid but we have a mucosal lining all the way through our gi tract you know starting we produce you know mucus in our mouth and our esophagus our stomach all the way to the rectum, all the way until you know the food comes in and then the poop comes out. And that mucosal surface protects not just the stomach, but the intestinal cells in the small and the large intestine. And a lot of what determines if we have a good, robust, protective mucus layer is our microbiome. And what a lot of what determines our microbiome is the food that we eat. So mm-hmm. we need a lot of fiber a lot of fiber to feed good gut bacteria that help our body produce and maintain this very healthy, thick mucosal layer. You're Uh not gonna have leaky gut if you have a nice thick mucosal layer. Well, unfortunately, you know, in Western societies, we really don't eat enough fiber. Our food supply is what we put into our bodies is not what was meant to be. And, you know, even just 100, 200 years ago, what we are eating is dramatically different from, you know, what our grandparents were eating. They would not recognize a lot of the food we put in our mouth um, and our system doesn't either. And so our microbiomes are, are very disturbed. We get overgrowth of bad guys, things like Candida, things like Staph aureus, uh, many, many strains of bacteria that produce a situation where we're not able to maintain a good mucosal barrier. And then when that happens, that's where the cells in the intestinal tract get damaged. And normally they have something called tight junctions. So a cell to cell connection is nice and tight and they open up, especially in the small intestine when we eat to absorb nutrients, but then they close back up tight and there's a protective layer of mucus. Well, when there's no mucus on top of them, they start touching all the bad stuff and they die and the tight junctions get compromised. And instead of sealing back up nice and tight, there's an opening and that's the leaky part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Things can chronically leak into, and it goes right into the bloodstream. Other things aside from a kind of a, 
we call it dysbiosis or messed up microbiome, a lot of the medications we take. So people who take a lot of Advil, you know, people pop them like candy, like, oh yeah, I just take Advil every day for the pain that will destroy the mucosal layer in your gut as well other medications. So, you know, everything we do determines the health of our gut. And um, once, once these things get off, I kind of liken it to a ship that has listed and now it's taking on water, that ship can't write itself on its own. So that's why I do the gut testing. I go in and see exactly what are the problems? Where are the, where's, where are the two little amounts of good guys? And what do we have that's too much? Is it candida? Is it other pathogens? Then I know what herbs I need to use to clean up that gut and then rebuild the gut's mucosal lining and heal this leaky gut. But yeah, it gets to a place where the it's just so dysfunctional that the body can't correct it itself. Ultimately, I tell patients, we're going to do all this work. We're going to do the herbs. We're going to clean up your gut. We're going to try to write your microbiome. But then your job is to focus on eating fiber because the only way to maintain this healthy situation that we're working so hard to get is to eat at least 35 or 40 grams of fiber a day that feeds the good gut bacteria and maintains them. And if you go back to eating, you know, fast food or even just not enough fiber, um, it's, it's gonna happen again. And in America, uh, the average American eats about 15 grams of fiber a day. The US recommended daily allowance is 25 grams of fiber a day. As naturopathic doctors, we like to target at least 35, 40 grams of fiber a day. But indigenous cultures who live, you know, in the forest or, you yeah. know, off the land, they can eat upwards of 100 to 150 grams of fiber a day. They wow. don't get leaky gut. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> They're just eating plants all day long. And um, that, that is the fundamental basis of where we kind of went wrong. But antibiotics are a problem. They can destroy the microbiome and, and the gut lining as well. And um now I think there's a little bit better stewardship amongst doctors knowing that there's antibiotic resistance. So I, I think on some level, doctors are trying to prescribe fewer antibiotics to combat antibiotic resistance, but there's also a big toll on your gut every time you take antibiotics. And sometimes it's necessary. Sometimes it's life-saving. It's absolutely yeah. necessary, but the overuse in Western society has, has also contributed to this leaky gut situation by completely disrupting the microbiome. Yeah, there's been quite a lot of publicity um, over the last few years uh, over here too about um, yeah the overprescription of antibiotics and also it's the expectation of us um, you know as patients we I think we'd sort of got into the habit of just going and expecting antibiotics for whatever you know came along and so it's been that sort of like gradual re-education of us you know because um, you don't need them unless you need them, you know? <laughs> so it's about really sort of considering, um, as you said, sometimes it's very, very necessary, but, um, but not necessarily always. And I think it's about getting out of the habit of just expecting them every time that you're ill. Um, yeah, you're so right. And the critical piece there is you're right. As patients, we were going in and asking doctors for antibiotics and in situations where we were sick with a cold, most colds are caused by a virus. Taking antibiotics is completely useless and actually detrimental because of the microbiome issue. But patients would go in, the doctors felt like they couldn't just say to a patient, look, there's nothing I can do for you. It's viral, you have to ride it out. So they would fulfill the prescription 
just wanting to kind of make the patient feel like there was a point to the doctor's visit. And the doctors even knew, well, this is likely viral. It's not going to do anything, but I'm going to just give the antibiotics. And, and now, you know, I think a lot of people don't understand the difference between colds being caused by a virus, what's yeah. being caused by bacteria, and that you, an antibiotic will not do anything for a, a cold caused by a virus. So we need to get educated as patients to stop asking our doctors for antibiotics. You're, you're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. So just go through with me one more time um, the way that you work with someone. So you were saying uh, there's kind of, it sounded like there was a process there. So you start with the testing, right? Right. So let's say somebody comes to see me and it doesn't matter if they have eczema, acne, rosacea, psoriasis. It doesn't matter if they're an infant or a 70 year old. They're presenting with this chronic derm condition and I know something is wrong with the gut. Obviously, something is wrong on the skin as well. So at the first visit, I actually do a lot of patient education. We talk about these kinds of things. Um, but I recommend that they do a stool test and a urine test. The stool test is what it sounds like. They're going to poop in a tray at home. And then they collect uh, like four different places from their stool and put it in a, a container. And they ship it off to the lab. And then I get an amazing report from the lab with like a list of their microbiome. How many good guys? How many bad guys? How's their digestive health? Um, it's really it's just so illuminating as to what's going on. But there's another urine test I like called an oat or an organic acid test. And I like that one because the stool test obviously comes from the end of the GI tract. That's coming from the colon, the large intestine. The, the urine test is coming from the whole body because urine is actually just filtered blood. And some people can have candida or mold overgrowth, and that can happen further up in the small intestine. So that always won't show, that doesn't always show up on a stool test. So I like the urine and the stool test together. And then I get a really robust picture of like exactly what are the issues and what's going on. And so with the first visit, we do do lovely natural botanical topicals to try to like put the skin back in a healthy state and calm down the inflammation that's going on. But at the second visit, that's really where the work is done. We review the lab results from the stool and urine test. We see, oh my gosh, here's exactly what the problem is. Here's what's off. And then we do treatment plans to try to address all the problems that are going on. And it is, I've never seen it just be one thing. It's, it's always at that point, multiple things have, are going on once the body is kind of yelling at you with a, a skin condition saying, hey, pay yeah. attention. Something yeah. is going on here and I need help. Um, and yeah, so that second visit, I, I always say, is the most exciting visit. And it is really exciting to finally see and understand, wow, what is going on here? Like, you know, what is going on in my body? And even patients who didn't think they had gastrointestinal symptoms, it's always, it's always revealed in the report what, why the things are happening on their skin. Um, That's fascinating. And, then, and so then you treat the gut with, with herbs. And, yes, uh, I, I primarily do herbal protocols and, and they vary, they kind of change up from month to month, depending on how the patient is responding and depending on what I'm trying to address, because again, there's usually multiple things. So I start with the biggest issue and then we kind of work down the other issues. Yeah. And then the goal is to get them off of supplements, off of treatment. And that's where 
the fiber intake comes in so that they can maintain and not have to come back and see me, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. So I have a quick question um, about what are your thoughts on probiotic supplements? Do you, is that something you use as well? Or? I definitely use probiotics and there's different kinds of probiotics. And so it will depend on the patient and the situation. There's one instance where I will hold off on, on probiotics and that is something called SIBO or small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. If your listeners haven't heard of that. So we talked about the microbiome changes throughout the gut. Most of the bacteria are supposed to be at the end in our large intestine. And that's where they're supposed to ferment fiber and we feed them fiber and then they do wonderful things for us. They give us B vitamins and wonderful things that we can't make like short chain fatty acids, something called butyrate, which then feeds our intestinal cells and, and helps that create that mucosal barrier. Um, but it's supposed to be in the large intestine at the back end. Sometimes that bacteria will move up into the small intestine and overgrow there. And people will get like unbelievable abdominal bloating and gas because now every time they eat these bacteria, which are maybe good bacteria, they're in the wrong place. They're in the small intestine and they're fermenting fiber in the wrong place. And that gives us gas and bloating. So if someone, if I suspect somebody has SIBO or I know they have SIBO, I'm not going to give them probiotics because I don't want to put more bacteria in. We have to get rid of all that load in the small intestine first, and then maybe later, I'll give probiotics to help seed, you know, and it, they reduce inflammation. And there is some debate as to whether or not they actually increase uh, the growth in the gut, like how many actually arrive there. Yeah, but. yeah, yeah. I've kind of heard that. I mean, I I have to say I take them, and um, uh, and I kind of take quite a generic brand, you know, from our local health food shop. And I've had people say that, you know, yeah, there's no point because <laughs> they're probably not getting in, but. But you know, what? There, there, we have found though there is still a point because even if they don't survive the, it's a pretty perilous journey for them. As we talked about, first stop is this acidic, fiery cauldron they have to survive. It's you know a lot of them die, and then a lot of them die along the long journey through our small intestine or colon. Mm -hmm. But we have found that the benefit of probiotics is not so much can we get them alive to the colon, but these byproducts that they can make um, for us, and, and that there does seem to be a benefit from that. Uh, there's another class of probiotics called spore-based probiotics, which is a little bit different. Instead of trying to get the guys that we want in the colon to the colon, these are bacteria that we think we would use to eat out of the soil as caveman. So, you know, the plants were coming from the soil, we would prepare the meat in the soil and we'd get these spore-based bacteria, which is the spore form of bacteria is very hardy. They're meant to survive things. So the spore-based bacteria tend to survive the stomach and the journey a lot more. And it's not so much that we want those species to proliferate in the gut as much as they kind of create, let's say, the soil in our gut so that the good guys can thrive and the bad guys tend to die. So there's there's kind of two different philosophies and ways to take probiotics. Yeah, that's really interesting as well, because um, I, I, I again, like my knowledge isn't deep enough, but I've sort of read around this. So I had this um, I kind of knew that there was something to do with with the soil and the earth. And it's uh, also I believe that it being 
local to where you are as well makes a difference. So like, you know, as now the food gets traveled across the globe and we often eat superfoods from say like the Amazonian jungle thinking they're going to really help us, but you know, maybe they won't if you're from Northern Europe, (laughs) you know, and your gut biome isn't necessarily, you know, um, I guess evolved for those particular, you know, bacteria that you get on those foods. So I've taken to um, buying a local veg box. This was my action taken on the back of this because I sort of figured, you know, local, um, you know, soil is coming on those vegetables and and they're spray free, which is another kind of um, bonus. So, yeah, so I sort of had this, uh, I'd sort of read around that idea of the, the something to do with the soil and the, um, the spore-based bacteria. That's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, and you're right in that if we were eating, you know, all local produce and out foraging, th- that would be true. I, I do think the spores would be different. But, you know, when you, when you buy a bottle of spore-based probiotics, they're, they're obviously standardized to everybody. Um, yeah. So, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't like make a... It's kind of hard with produce because on the one hand, we don't know where that produce produce has been along the journey. It's not the same as picking it off a vine, but then, you know, we do tend to over scrub it. If the best is obviously if people grow a garden and it's an organic garden and they're not using pesticides or sprays, but they're, they've got a diversity of plants and wonderful bugs like ladybugs to control things. And um, yeah, you can just pick it off the vine and eat it. You don't need to scrub that produce. You're going to get some of the the good soil and good bacteria. So that's the best is if you can plant a little garden or or even grow some herbs. That's great advice. I love that. Yeah. Great idea. Um, Shall we finish then um, with your top tips for how we can help ourselves as much as we can? You know, what can we be doing um, to support our gut and our skin health? So I'll give some outside tips and some inside tips inside. It's just absolutely going to be the fiber focus, like track how much fiber you're eating, see what you're at for every patient of mine has to track their diet for four days, make no changes. Let's just see where you're at in terms of your daily intake of fiber. And then you want to slowly try to work up to 35 or 40 grams a day. Because if you move too fast, you're, you're going to get a lot of gas and discomfort. So you just move up a little bit at a time. There's also evidence that not just the quantity of fiber, but the diversity. So they found that the healthiest diets, it doesn't matter if it's a paleo diet or a vegan diet or a Mediterranean diet. If you are eating more than 30 different types of plants a week, that will keep you healthy. And it sounds like a lot if you were to think about going to the supermarket and putting 30 plants in your basket, but using herbs and spices and cooking counts, teas count. So there's, there's definitely an easy way to get to that 30. So for internal, those are my top tips. Yes, that's great. For external, um, people don't realize it, but the skin is actually meant to be acidic. And so a pH is a scale of acidity and alkalinity. Um, the skin is supposed to be around a four to a five. But we do a lot of things topically to actually disrupt it and make it more alkaline. Like we put soap on it, which is alkaline. So I use a lot of um, lovely topical botanicals in my practice that naturally bring the acidity of the skin back down while healing and things that are good for the skin. So things like aloe vera gel um, is really great for the skin. It's acidic and it heals the skin. It helps promote collagen production. 
even apple cider vinegar. You can dilute that with water and spray it on the skin. It's terrific. It's acidic in nature. And something called hydrosols, which are a byproduct of the essential oil making process. But not the essential oils, but the water that gets made. It will say like rosemary hydrosol. Um, are wonderful. They smell great. They are naturally acidic and healing to the skin and they fight bacteria and fungus on the skin and um, all of this stuff helping um, keep the skin acidic. It, it won't just deal with like actual disease like eczema, but it will keep your skin healthy and it will make it age less quickly. So you'll have less wrinkles and dark spots if you use these products. And it's and just all want a bit of that, don't we? <laughs> That's good. Naturally aging beautiful, right? We don't want to stop the aging process. No. We don't want to freeze our face and try to look like we're 25 if we're 50. Um, I'm about to turn 49. So, you know, oh, wow. things are happening. So, <laughs> want to age healthily and beautifully that's the goal absolutely I 100% agree with that and um, I'm always on the lookout for um, natural ways to um, look after my skin and I'm um, so pleased to have kind of got rid of all the um, the products you know the unnecessary products that I used to use when I look back and I think about um, what I just used to get sold to from the magazines you know and just no idea what was in them or anything and then you start to look at the back and read all the ingredients and think what is this stuff (laughs) right read the labels of your skincare products the way you would read the labels of your food if you don't know what it is and you wouldn't put it in your mouth I wouldn't put it on your skin yeah that's Great advice. Yeah, 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 definitely. Well, thank you so much, Julie. It's been really lovely to meet you and just fascinating. Um, Really pleased that you could join us today. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure being here and I hope your listeners learned something new today. Oh, we will have learned so much. Now, can you just tell us um, for the listeners who might be interested in learning more about what you're doing and how they can get in contact with you and where they can find you? Obviously, we're all the way over in the UK, but I'm sure that there's ways that they could probably follow you and work with you. So how would that be best? to find you. Yeah. So my website is integrativedermatologycenter.com. As a doctor, I'm I'm only licensed to see patients in California, Oregon, and Washington. And even though it's telemedicine, unfortunately, the patient has to physically be located in one of those states for the visit. Otherwise, I'm practicing um, medicine without a license, which I cannot do. Um, But if you have a licensed healthcare practitioner, you know, in your area, Um, and you need help and want them to work with me, I can work directly with a healthcare practitioner. I just can't work with patients. Um, But if you have listeners who, you know, really want to delve into this kind of stuff themselves, they can go to my website on the About Me page, and there's a 20-course series for doctors on a site called LearnSkin that we put together that really delves into all this research. And again, it's scientific and technical, but if people are interested, they can take the courses for free and you know learn some stuff. We have a course on skin health and the gut, a course on uh, skin pH and skin health. So a lot of the things that we've talked about today. That sounds great. That's brilliant. So I will put the links to those in the um, comments for the podcast as well, the notes. Well, enjoy the rest of your day, Julie. And I look forward to maybe catching up with you again sometime. Thanks so much. That sounds great. I'd love to. 
Thank you so much for listening today. Don't forget that you can subscribe to listen to more episodes. You can leave a review if you've enjoyed today's episode and you can share with your friends. And I'd really appreciate that. Look forward to seeing you next week. And if you need a few moments out for yourself, I've left a free guided relaxation recording in the notes for this podcast. Take care, guys. See you next time.